If a man speaks alone in a forest and his wife's not there to hear him, is he still wrong? This week's Torah portion, Parsha Shoftim, tells us something very interesting about when rabbis teach us and they are seemingly incorrect, when they're seemingly wrong. Teda says, Al pi According to the law they instruct you, and according to the judgment they say to you, you shall do. Do not divert, do not waver from the word that they tell you, right or left. Whatever the rabbi's ruling is, don't divert from it. Stay to it, don't divert to the right or to the left. Rashi, in his commentary, takes those two words, yimin usmol, to the right or to the left, and says, Afilu eimelecho al yimin shuhu smol, v'alasmol shuhu yimin. Even if they tell you, right is left and left is right. That's what it means. Do not divert from the word they tell you, right or left. It means even if they tell you the right is the left and the left is the right, so how much more so how much more so when they tell you small small when they tell you right is right and left is left because even if they would tell you right is left and left is right you would listen to them unwaveringly so how much more so when they tell you that right is right and left is left you should listen to them unwaveringly okay so this is obviously very interesting um this is something that a thoughtful intelligent person would want to understand better because at first glance, at least, it sounds like we're supposed to be in denial of reality. And that's it. You just avoid reality, deny reality. Um, if that's what it is, that's what it is. But it, it seems funny that that, <laughs> it seems funny to think that that's what it would mean. So, um, I want to tell you a story, but the story is a story within a story. And then there's a side story before the story. You'll see. The story is just a little bit of background that over the years, the, the Lubavitcher Rebbe would ask many times that rabbis, not just con congregational rabbis, pulpit rabbis, but rabbis who are um, in a position to make halachic, authoritative halachic judgments, what we call a paisic or a, uh, a halachic uh, judge or, or ruler, that such rabbis should render halachic decisions stating clearly that according to Shulchan Aruch, according to the Code of Jewish Law, it is forbidden to give away land in Israel. It is forbidden for the Jewish people or any Jewish person to give away land in Israel to our enemies. Now, just to clarify the Rebbe's position and why the Rebbe was saying this was a halachic position, this has nothing to do with Zionism. This has nothing to do with nationalistic aspirations. Um, in fact, it has nothing to do specifically with the land of Israel. Uh, it has to do with the preservation of life as dictated by Jewish law, specifically in Shulchan Aruch Erechayim Shin Choftes, Chapter 329 of Eirech Chaim, uh, Halacha 
6, 329.6. And over there it says that if Jews live in a border town, that means a town which is vulnerable because it's close to uh, the, the border, and the enemy is mobilizing or showing any, before they even attack, but they are showing any type of uh, desire to, to, com to, to go to, to combat, that even on Shabbos, we have to defend ourselves, even, you know, the Shabbos is pushed off in order to, uh, to defend ourselves. And uh, we have to treat the situation as a situation of life and death. So the entire Israel is on the border. It's not a very large country. It's on the border. And uh, therefore, it has to be treated as a situation where there is pikuach nefesh, there's a threat to life. And uh, therefore, we are not allowed to increase our vulnerability, God forbid, and we have to uh, defend ourselves. So that is a, a halachic point, just about saving life and not having to do anything necessarily with, with the holiness of the land or with the nationalistic aspirations of the Jewish people to, to, to once more be in our homeland. This is just a simple law of uh, preserving life. At any rate, the point is that the Rebbe many times, many, many times over the years, asked that people who are qualified to render halachic decisions should render a halachic decision that it is forbidden to uh, compromise the Jewish security in, in, in the Jewish land by giving away, or even discussing uh, giving away land. Now, that's the background. On one of these occasions when the Rebbe was asking rabbis to render such rulings, uh, specifically this occasion was Motzah Shabbos Bereshis Tov Shin Mem Aleph. Uh, the Rebbe was saying that, you know, rabbis should make such rulings, and then the Rebbe asked uh, a question. The Rebbe asked, now, you might say, what's the point of this? Because the people who are in a position to give away the land are not necessarily Torah observant, or they necessarily are not Torah observant, or many of them. Um, so why would they care about a halachic ruling, right? Oh, you're going to have rabbis come out with a halachic ruling. Okay, but these people don't follow halacha. Are they Shemr Shabbos? Do they eat kosher? they Taras So with those things in their own lives, they don't keep, they're going to hear a halachic ruling for something that they are under so much pressure to do, in diplomatic pressure, political pressure, that all of a sudden now they're going to be from, they're going to listen to a halachic ruling. So the Rebbe explained, that's not the point. And how did the Rebbe explain? With a story. So here's the story within the story. The story that Rebbe told is a story of the Ragachover Gon. Uh, Reb Harav, Reb Yesif Rosen, who was known as the Ragachover Gon, the genius of Ragachov, because he was, that's where he lived most of his years. Although the story I'm about to tell you takes place in Leningrad, where he lived for a short period of time. And uh, Gon means the genius. And he was a, an absolute genius. Um, he had the entirety of the oral law um, at his fingertips, just a, a computer mind and had penetrating uh, insight and, and depth and analysis. Uh, he was a, a Rav for many years in Dvinsk and he was, he was known as just a, a, an incredible uh, scholar. And in fact, there are correspondences between the Rebbe and the Ragachover um, when, the, when the Rebbe was much younger. They were contemporaneous. The, the Rogachava 
uh, passed away in 1936. At any rate, so the story takes place when the Rogachevo was living in Leningrad. And in fact, I told you there's a story within a story and then a side story. Let me tell you the side story first, just because I'm mentioning the Rogachevo living in Leningrad. So I'll tell you the side story about Leningrad. Um, this was in the 1920s, and it was actually at the same time the Rogachevo lived in Leningrad, it was the same time for a period that, that the sixth Rebbe, uh, the, the Rebbe Rayatz, Rebbe Yesef Yitzchok, lived in Leningrad at the same time. It was after the Lubavitcher Rebbe's left the town of Lubavitch during World War I, and, uh, which was, you know, 1917, around the time of the revolution in Russia. So for, for a short period of time in the 1930s, the, the sixth Rebbe lived in Leningrad. So anyways, the story is that there was a Lubavitcher Chassid, Rebbe Simcha Gorodetsky, and he saw the Rogachev when he was in Leningrad, and he, when he introduced himself, he says, I've come to Leningrad to the Rebbe. And the Rogachev said to Rebbe Simcha, he says, you've come to the Rebbe in Leningrad? He says, yes, I've come to Leningrad to the Rebbe. He says, no, no. Did you come to the Rebbe in Leningrad, or did you come to Leningrad to the Rebbe? Because there are 16 nafkaminas la alocha. There are 16 differences. Actually, I'm sorry, 17. There are 17 practical differences in halacha. One of them, I'll tell you why I said 16, because he says there are 17 in total. One of them is whether or not you are obligated to eat in a sukkah. That's one of them. The other 16, that's where I remember the number 16 from. He says the other 16, if you care, you can figure it out. So, 17 nafkaminus la halacha. There are 17 practical halachic differences that will emerge from whether or not you formulate your statement as, I've come to the Rebbe in Leningrad, or I came to Leningrad to the Rebbe. Okay. At any rate, the point is, you know, the mind of the Rogachev, that he knew 17 practical differences in halacha. All right. But here's the story that I want to tell you. So, if you remember... I was saying that the Rebbe was saying that Rabbonim, that, 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 that rabbis should make halachic uh, decisions that you're not allowed, not allowed to give away land. And then the Rebbe asked, well, the people who are in a position to give, the, give away this land are, are not going to listen anyways because they're not necessarily halachically observant. Okay, so the Rebbe said, fine, so I'll tell you, I'll tell you a story. And the Rebbe told the story that when the Ragachavar was in Leningrad, here's the story that I want to tell you. The Rogachev was in Leningrad. And uh, so this was in the time of the, the, the Bolsheviks. This is after the revolution. So the communists sent him a tax bill. So he gets the tax bill, and the tax bill was actually itemized. It was broken down into two different taxes. So the Rogachev had a grandson who was also very, very intelligent. I'm sure, you know, if he had his grandfather's genes, he was, you know, we would consider him a genius. Uh, and he also was very um, well-versed in secular law, and he just, he, he knew, he knew things, you know, he, he, knew, he had a lot of worldly knowledge. So the Rogachev showed his grandson this tax bill, and he asked him to, he said, explain to me what these taxes are for. So his grandson was very worldly, worldly like, like we mentioned. So he was able to explain to him that this, this tax is for this, this tax is for this. And he explained to him the nature of the taxes. 
So Rogachev heard this and he looks to his grandson. He says, This tax, according to Torah, I'm obligated to pay. If the government asks for such a tax, according to Torah, you have to pay it. This tax, I'm not obligated to pay. According to Torah, you don't have to pay it. I'm not paying it. Go pay, pay the one that Torah says you're obligated to pay. Don't pay the one that Torah says you're not obligated to pay. Now, you don't want to mess around with communists, right? They, they weren't like such nice people. Not, you know, the Bolsheviks, they're not like, you know, such reasonable people, right? So, kind of bold to say, this one Torah says pay. This one Torah says you don't have to pay. Don't pay it, right? But that's what the Rogachev says. A few days later, they get a letter in the mail. Correction from the government... From the, or from the Communist Party, or, you know, I guess that's the same thing. Um, sorry, we, we, your, your, your tax bill was an error, and you're only obligated to pay this tax, not the other tax. So what's the point of the story? The point of the story is not just that the Ragachava was able to look at a situation and determine what would be the Toyota perspective in that situation. The point of the story is that the Rogachava was able to say what the Torah perspective is on the situation, and his saying it actually changed the reality. Changed the reality. So when the Rogachava paskined, when he made a halachic ruling, this tax I have to pay, this tax I don't have to pay. So therefore the reality conformed to the psak din, to the halachic ruling. And the Rebbe said, that's the same point here. When we come out with rulings about what the government should do in, 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 in the Holy Land. It's not because we necessarily think that they're listening to halacha, but when a rav makes a psak din, when he makes a halachic ruling, there's a koyach there's a power that Torah has, and specifically a halachic ruling, a psak din la halacha, a practical legal rendering of the Torah, and that, that ruling actually has the power to make things happen in reality. We say, I mean, according to the Zayar, that uh, that when Hashem created the world, He looked into the Torah and He created the world. There's a famous Hayyem Yem, that Rebbe wrote a book called Hayyem Yem, with a, with a teaching every day. So the Hayyem Yem for Chav Beis Shvat, which happens to also be the... Um, the Rabbits and Chaim Mushka's Over there it says, there are two kinds of laws. There are laws that create life and laws that respond to life. So secular law, human law, are laws that respond to life. You look at the world, you see there are certain conditions, and you make laws to respond or to react to the situation. Then there's Torah law. Torah law isn't responding to the conditions of this world. Torah law actually is creating the conditions of this world. And when there's a ruling, according to the Torah, it actually determines that the reality should be that way. So, now we can understand what Rashi was telling us when Rashi said, even if the judge will tell you that right is left and left is right, does that mean that if reality is one way, and the rabbi makes a halakhic decision and tells you, no, reality is a different way, that we should go against reality? No, that's not what it means. It means the Torah is actually changing reality. It's not man-made laws that respond to a pre-existing reality. 
Torah is the blueprint for reality. So, this is what we have to understand. On one hand, Torah takes into account the realities of this world. For instance, classic example, when a rabbi has to rule whether or not you break Shabbos for, for a sick person. So the rabbi will base his ruling on the advice of a doctor. The rabbi doesn't decide whether or not the person's sick enough. The doctor decides. Or when a rabbi has to make a ruling about a certain technology, whether it's permissible to use on Shabbos, for, for example. So you have to listen to the, to the scientists who understand how that technology works. So when a rabbi makes a ruling, he, or like the Rogachover who asked his grandson, who understood law, explain to me what, what the, the basis of these taxes are, right? So a rabbi has to take, in, take into account the reality. But, but, that doesn't mean that the, the rabbi is subservient to the facts as they are presently. It means you take into account those facts and then Torah gives its ruling and then that ruling has the, has the power to influence reality. So, based on all of this, maybe it won't surprise you if I will tell you also that in addition to the rulings that the Rebbe asked for over the years, that uh, rabbis should rule about safety and security in the land of Israel, there was something else that the, the Rebbe asked that the rabbis should make halachic rulings about on many, many occasions. The Rebbe asked that the rabbis should rule that according to halacha, it is time already for Mashiach to come. Not just, it's a nice thing, we want Mashiach, we'd be very happy if Mashiach comes. No, according to halacha, According to our tradition, according to everything that we know, according to the, to, the, to the oral law, as it's been transmitted to us faithfully in an unbroken chain, our tradition shows us that it's time for Mashiach. It's not just a feeling, it's not just a hope. It's time for Mashiach to come. When uh, the, the Sephardic chief rabbi of Israel, Rav Mordechai Elio, came to the Rebbe. So that was one of the things that the Rebbe spoke with him about that he and other rabbis who are in leadership positions should make this ruling, that it's time already for Mashiach to come. And that when we make such a ruling, or when rabbis who are in a position to make such a ruling make these rulings, that this actually helps to bring about the reality. May it be speedily. Now, 